Good morning, it's July 27th, and this is to my liberal friends. Yesterday I talked about the problems in the media and the biases that the public believes exist. Today I would like to delve into our political system and why it's not working for a lot of Americans. The belief in trust in government, the end result of our political structure, is in a free fall with no signs of abating. As I mentioned yesterday, the media and the political issues of our nation are inextricably intertwined, and the crisis in confidence in the two has led to a major problem because we need to have trust in both to have self-governance. When I first went to Washington, D.C. in 1977, the two political parties, Republicans and Democrats, were certainly opponents, but the degree of partisanship was nowhere near the level that it was it's become today. My boss in the Senate, Senator Orrin Hatch, became the chairman of the Senate Labor and Human Resources Committee in 1980 as Republicans swept to victory on the back of Ronald Reagan. His ranking member on the committee was Senator Edward Kennedy from Massachusetts. They were about as far apart on their political beliefs as possible, but somehow they forged a working relationship and were able to put together some very important legislation. Today, the politicians leading the country seem more interested in power than in working in the interests of the public. They spend billions, yes, I said billions, on campaigns to achieve that power, and once they get it, they will do everything possible to maintain that power. The policies they espouse become more designed to maintain power than to better the lives of the average person. Politicians today try to find wedge issues to divide us as a nation, and neither party can supp supply a solution to those issues. In my opinion, as I've stated before, the real divide began in the aftermath of the 2000 election. George W. Bush won a razor-thin election that came down to multiple recounts in the state of Florida. Liberals became convinced that somehow the election had been stolen from them, and yet every recount demonstrated that the results were valid, with Bush winning the state by a narrow margin. The staff members in the White House, most of whom hoped to continue working there with the victory by Vice President Al Gore, became juvenile and removed the W key from most of the keyboards to the computers. To his credit, Al Gore gave a statesmanlike concession speech, and he said, quote, Neither he nor I anticipated this long and difficult road. Certainly neither of us wanted it to happen, yet it came and now it has ended, resolved as it must be resolved through the honored institutions of our democracy, end quote. And it was Al Gore who stood in the well of the House of Representatives as the vice president to count the Electoral College votes and certify George W. Bush as the president. But as I stated, liberals were not content with accepting this loss. Congressman John Lewis, that civil rights icon from Georgia, led a group of Democrats to boycott Bush's inauguration and they made it clear they did not accept Bush as a legitimate president. Jesse Jackson made multiple statements that black voters were turned away from the poll, statements that were blatantly false. Some of these same liberals refused to acknowledge that Bush defeated John Kerry in 2004. They insisted that Kerry had won Ohio without any evidence that it was true. And I think things reached a crescendo in 2016. Hillary Clinton refused to concede the election that night. She sent John Podesta, a campaign advisor, down to speak to her supporters. She was in shock, and I have to assume she was emulating Donald Trump, who had been asked by a debate moderator, Chris Wallace, if he would concede if the election, if the election was lost. Trump refused to answer the question, and Clinton said she was horrified. Turned out she was right and prophetic. She finally issued a form of concession, but then spent the next four years proclaiming that Trump had not actually won, that she was the rightful winner. This led liberals to begin talking about impeachment even before Trump was inaugurated. And so I asked the question again, why does the American public hate politics? Liberals have been attacking Donald Trump because he refuses to accept his defeat in 2020, 
all the while supporting and believing, at least they say they believe, that Stacey Abrams had defeated Brian Kemp in Georgia. They maintained that belief right up until 2020 when Kemp soundly defeated Mrs. Abrams by almost 9%. And in political terms, that's a landslide victory. Today, we have Donald Trump continuing to say he had the election stolen from him, and unfortunately, he has supporters around the nation and in Congress who buy into his fantasy. Impeachment, designed to be used in an emergency, has become a regular weapon of the opposing party if they have control of the House. Republicans used it against Bill Clinton, Democrats used it twice against Trump, and now we have Republicans talking about using it against Biden. Congress itself has become inept and cannot pass much in the way of important legislation as both parties use procedural moves to thwart the other. In the House, the minority party votes no on anything brought forward by the majority. In the Senate Rule 22, the filibuster rule, is routinely abused by both sides. When they're in power, they decry the minority using this rule, but when they're in the minority, they both resort to using this tactic. This total dysfunction of the government and the politicians that run it has not been lost on the voters. In a recent poll, only two out of 10 Americans trust the government in Washington to do what is right. It's been going down steadily since 2000. And I suspect this total distrust of the government and the political system operating the government has led to a movement that once again would bring a third party candidate to the race for the presidency in 2024. Now, I've discussed this in the past and the issue that might arise from a third candidate, but maybe the public will look at this as an opportunity to send a clear signal we're not interested in hyper-partisan politics. We want problem solvers, not political opportunists. I don't hold much hope, but how upsetting would it be if someone like Joe Manchin ran on the no-labels ticket and actually won? Do you think it might send a signal to the far right and far left in Congress? I do, and that signal might embolden other moderates to start challenging these fringe politicians. Then we might actually see a Congress that can learn to work together and put the American public ahead of their own political aspirations and power. This has been To My Liberal Friends. I appreciate your listening. Please hit the subscribe button or follow me and recommend it to your friends. Thank you.